Hello and welcome to the April DCM podcast. My name is Tom Lanay and this month I am very, very excited to be joined by Terry White, who is editor-in-chief of the world's greatest movie magazine, Empire. Hello, Terry. Hello, what an introduction. Now, Terry is also an occasional guest on the Empire podcast. I am, One yes. of the world's biggest film podcasts. Is mm-hmm. it the world's biggest film podcast? Uh, I think it, it may be not the biggest, but we, uh, we do amazing numbers. I mean, anywhere between 70 and 100,000 downloads a month for some of our big spoiler specials. We've had in excess of 120,000 downloads, which is pretty insane for something just started by Chris Hewitt our associate editor as a passion project years ago when podcasts were desperately uncool um and you know we kind of film it every week I'm um, sorry we record it every week with no you know we don't have a big budget or anything like that it's just people passionate about film talking about film and ama- occasional amazing guests like Steven Spielberg a few weeks ago so I will build up to Steven Spielberg one day. But build up to I Spielberg. Like, I feel like this is the, 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 <laughs> the pinnacle of where the DCM podcast has got to so far. Divide those listener numbers by about 100,000 and you're kind of where <laughs> we're getting to. But uh, I think just before I press record, we were talking about Avengers Infinity mm. War, which is out today on the day we're recording the podcast, Thursday the 26th of April. You've seen it. Empire have given it five stars. I've we seen did. it. You liked it a lot, didn't you? I loved it. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's interesting, right? Because everybody presumes, as the editor of, of Empire, that you're kind of obsessed with Marvel. And here's a little bit of a guilty secret I've never really admitted publicly, which is I've never historically been a huge natural fan of Marvel. Like, I enjoy their films. They're incredibly well executed. You can't argue with it. Um, but my emotional connection, you know, is a girl I grew up with DC. So, so bat, the Batman films, Burton's Batman was for me where kind of my real emotional connection lies. Batman Returns was the one for me. There you go, you see. And those things stick with you. And obviously, um, uh, the MCU as we know it, it's 10 years this year. Um, and, you know, I've enjoyed those films. But I have to say, the first film that really massively connected with me in um, from a Marvel perspective was Black Panther, which I went on set of in Atlanta and spent, you know, probably almost a year working on that story. Interviewed everybody, Ryan Coogler, Nate Moore, um, all of the, pretty much every everybody who's in it, um, which was, you should have seen my pile of transcription, that was something to, to behold. And then Infinity War, and I, I had concerns about Infinity War, which were mainly around how do you tell um, compelling arcs for those characters within, you know, when you've got that number of people on screen, um, obviously, they're all bound by one common aim, which is to stop Thanos. But how do you make it compelling and how do you do characterization on an individual level? And so that was really my concern. And therefore, would it lack heart? I mean, this film has so much heart. The, the biggest triumph for me is they've made Thanos, you know, an entirely CG character, human, like the humanity in that character, the emotion in that film is astonishing so it really blew me away and it's it's not become my favorite film of the year we gave it five stars it's pretty much not much unites the empire team we we have some fairly heated debates about stuff um but this kind of everybody was was very much we all sat in a row and watched it in the screening and there was i looked over at one bit and a couple of people were crying a couple of people were clutching their chest it's um it's an astonishing piece of filmmaking and 2018 seems to be the year that marvel have cracked the villain because mm-hmm. Killmonger in Black Panther was the best villain so far, and Thanos is on a similar level. Yes, unbelievable. And I, I interviewed Michael B. Jordan about um, 
about that character and how you play a proper textured, nuanced villain. And he was speaking about um, characters like Heath Ledger as the Joker and, and being his inspiration and how he wanted to rank up there as one of cinema's great villains, which, which do have complexity. And, and, you know, we talked about this a lot on the Empire podcast around Black Panther, which is there's very little to choose between, um, between Black Panther and T'Challa and Killmonger in terms of who's the hero and who's the villain. You have one, you change one life event in either of their lives and it could have so easily been the other way. And the fact that actually they're so close um, and they both have their own sense of morality and what's right and what's wrong and he feels very much like he's, he's been um, kind of, there's been injustice in his life and that's what he's kind of railing against. And the sympathy you have for that character is insane. And Thanos, you know, that, that is the ultimate test of whether Marvel could really execute a incredible villain um a non-human villain and i think they absolutely killed it it's very difficult to talk about infinity war without yes. spoiling Which something we shouldn't, yes i hosted a film quiz last night and when they got rowdy i said i've seen infinity war and i will spoil it if you That's don't settle down amazing um, yes and i think i've you know i i um when i was proofreading the review the other night just before it went live Helen O'Hara, who reviewed it for Empire, did an incredible job of somehow managing to sidestep any spoilers because essentially pretty much everything bar this setup, which is obviously the hunt for the Infinity Stones and them trying to stop it and stop Thanos finding them all, everything else aside from that is essentially a spoiler because it, from the very first scene, things happen that leave you kind of open mouth. That I wasn't expecting. 100%. So, so it's really difficult. And I've, I've been really strict on myself and the team. We're like, no spoilers, no discussion. Because, you know, uh, the feelings I had when I saw that film for the first time and saw some of those events unfold, you want people who are going to the cinema and paying to see it to have that exact same experience. So you mentioned it's your favourite film of 2018 so yes. far. What are the other contenders? Well, so it's actually been a really good year so it far, has, I think. It? You know, so we, I keep forgetting that Ladybird's still in, obviously, 2018, which was um, just such an incredible film. I mean, Greta is an astonishing um, director and filmmaker. Just and talent. Actor. Yeah. I mean, you know, they always say triple threat. I mean, every threat going, she's absolutely incredible. And I think that was such a brilliant, brilliant kind of, for everything from the scripting, I think Saoirse, I mean, is incredible. But Laurie Metcalf, who was just an absolute phenomenon. I think she maybe should have won the Oscar. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah. I mean, and, and Alison you know, Janney is, it was Alison Janney is amazing. And I, Tonya is also great, but yeah, I think Laurie Metcalf and, um, and uh, Lady Bird as a whole kind of had the edge for me as a film. Shape of Water, I just, absolutely fell in love with that film i think i've seen it like six or seven times so far i think I last time we spoke this. you'd said you'd watched la la land for the 19th time recently i had and i have this weird thing and i at the beginning of 2018 i was on the podcast and we were talking about resolutions and i was like i'm gonna stop doing that thing where i really love a film so i just watch it obsessively because it's got to stop and then so far i'd seen you know i'd seen la la land that time I mean, The Greatest Showman, right? Which is technically 2017 because it came out. Boxing, um, Day, Boxing yeah. Day. I've seen that film so many times and I've been sing-along screenings. I am like a mad, psychotic, obsessive fan. So when I do, and I, I get angry at myself because I'm like, you should be seeing the films because you can't see everything, right? So you should be seeing the films that you haven't got time to see. And instead I'm like paying money to go and watch like 
every time there's a special screen of La La Land, I'm just sat there at the front, like having a lovely time. And Great Showman. Usually alone. <laughs> Great Showman's out on Home Ent next week as well, it is. isn't it? So it is. I know it's going to get another viewing in our household it next is. week. We had Hugh Jackman in for the Empire Awards um, uh, a couple of months ago, for actually for Logan, um, which he won Best Actor for, which, you know, again, was a massive Empire favourite last year. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he's what an incredible two films on the trot, and they couldn't be more different. Logan, which obviously he did with um, James Mangold, very much a passion project for both of them. Really, completely different departure for that character, for that entire universe. We'd never seen a film done like that before. It was like a thriller, a bit westerny. It was absolutely incredible. And then to go and do Showman, which he'd been working on for almost a decade. And I went on set of that in New York as well, and Hugh was kind of turning up, feet bleeding, knees chafed from sliding across the floor. Um, and again, I mean, couldn't be more different, but has been the most ridiculous box office success. It's still going. It's still going. Still going. going. Like the, the, the um, guys at Fox were sharing the numbers with me and the growth. And you know how hard it is after X number of weeks to actually be growing your numbers. Um, and it's more about managing drop-off. And they were just kind of blown away each week to see the pickup and putting on nationwide kind of sing-alongs was mainly due to overwhelming public demand, which is just... I love it when that happens with a film. Well, it's been out four months now, and you mm. can go probably to a, a number of cinemas in central London and watch it today, which is just an incredible yeah. uh, result for them. I, I mean, I, I really, really liked it as yes. well. The songs... It's got the best soundtrack, I think, of a film for a while, as in original songs. Yes. Like music, La La Land was a, an amazing film. Yeah. But in terms of bangers, it, yes. had, it had one. Whereas this yes. has got like six or seven. Yeah, and it's the same writing team. Yeah. And they were, I, I spoke to them on set and they were amazing. They, were, they have a, um, a stage background in terms of writing for stage musicals. Um, but they very much wanted to make these original songs modern and fresh. Um, and you've got to remember that before La La Land, there hadn't been an original musical in over two decades. So when um, La La Land and um, uh, Greatest Showman were being made at the same time, they were both coming out into this space of nobody knew if, if musicals were even going to be accepted in this day and age. And I think what I love about Showman in is there can be a real snobbery around genre films, all genre films, whether you're talking superhero films, horror films... Musicals, I mean, you know, the eye-rolling and the kind of elitism, the intellectual elitism that I think sometimes goes along with film. And The Great Showman is just, like, the most fun you can have in the cinema in, like, two and a half hours. And I love that, basically, people voted with their feet and with their money. They went, they laid down their money, they saw it multiple times, they paid to go to sing-alongs, they, they absolutely responded to that film. And that's what films should do, I think. Um, everything doesn't have to be Oscar-worthy, everything doesn't have to be you know, Merchant Ivory or, or breaking new incredible kind of boundaries. It can just be a really amazing, old-fashioned, enjoyable experience in the cinema. And it means we're going to get a lot more original musicals, which is fine with me. Yes. Are you a fan of a musical? Yeah, I love a musical. Ooh. Yeah, um, I'm, and, we, and we've got a few coming out. Star is Born. I'm in really yes. intrigued to see some of that, see how Lady Gaga goes in that. Yeah, me too. I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm nervous about it because I always, whenever singers kind of move into movie making, I mean, Mariah Carey, I love you, but never make a film again. Um, you're always quite nervous. You know, J-Lo's had her Britney. mixed. Britney in Crossroads. I mean, you know, there isn't a, an amazing lineage. I mean, Cher, on the other hand, you know, like, 
she can do no wrong and she's done some amazing films but yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see how it kind of how it pans out but I think it's I think whenever those genres kind of come back around and they always do it's kind of a, a cycle I think you know the amazing thing is you've got La La Land which says something very specific about the movie business which speaks very much to what it was in 2017 and and you know even showman even though it obviously it's a period piece it deals with difference it deals with diversity it felt really fresh and kind of of the moment um so i'll be excited to see what comes next well mark maron was on well jennifer lawrence was on the mark maron podcast a couple of months ago and she said she'd seen a star is born and obviously she's probably not the most trustworthy person to ask on this because she's very good mates of Bradley Cooper, she I expect. Is, yeah. But she said it was remarkable. Oh, so uh, I'm excited. Anyway, that's uh, I've only got one question down oh God, my list. Sorry. <laughs> um, now I meet a lot of people doing this podcast who've got really great jobs, but you genuinely yes. have the dream job for a lot of people. How did you end up as editor of Empire? Um, good question. So I've been in um, magazines for what is it now? 18 years this year. So I actually started out as a secretary, very terrible, terrible secretary on men's magazines, and then kind of worked my way up. Um, and I edited Shortlist. That was my first editorship um, when I was 29. Um, and I worked there from launch for three and a half years. I loved it. Um, and then um, I went to New York and edited Time Out New York, which was an amazing experience. And both at Shortlist and at Time Out, film was a really dominant vertical, especially at Shortlist, it became pretty much kind of 50% of what we were doing. Um, and so I'd, you know, and I'd always had a passion for film personally, and I'd always, always wanted to edit Empire, so much so that um, I saw the ex-editor, um, Mark Dinning, who'd been editor of Empire, I think, for eight years, and he'd worked in Total Film and in Empire for a long time. And when I was editing Shortlist, I saw him at an awards do, and I'd had a few drinks and I ran across to him and said, I really want your job. When you go, I'm going to get your job and kind of berated him somehow for having the job and then fell over a chair. Um, so that was kind of my path to being Empire Editor. And then, yeah, when the when the job actually came up, um, I got a call in New York to say, would I be interested in it? And I'd been in New York for three and a half years by that point, And I definitely wasn't looking to come home. But um, it felt like a one in, once in a lifetime gig, really, and I wasn't prepared to wait another decade for it to come up again. So I suggest and packed my bags, then came back to London. So, what do you consider the highlights of your time at Empire? It's been two years now, hasn't it? Two and a half. Two and a half. Yes. Yeah. So, in terms of what we've managed to do, there've just been so many amazing moments, and I think Empire is has such a brilliant legacy. It's going to be thirty um, in about eighteen months, and we have the most incredible relationships with um, two very important groups to me, one of which are filmmakers. Empire is not just here to kind of slate films or critique films, or we are in love with the process of filmmaking. We are in love with how these things are created with the men and women who make it. We really, really love to kind of wallow in film and celebrate film and um, we are incredibly positive. You know, sometimes I think that drives, some people are critical of that. I don't care about that because I am like, film is one of life's greatest joys and we should be celebrating it and we do. Um, so being able to work with those filmmakers over the last two years has been incredibly um, humbling and a great kind of privilege. So we did a big Spielberg issue recently a Spielberg takeover and we collaborated with him on that so we invited other filmmakers to write essays 
on their relationship with him. We had Ryan Johnson, we had um, uh, Scorsese, we had Christopher Nolan, Edgar Wright, um, went slightly off brief and interviewed him, but I'm like, Edgar, you do what you want to do, you're Edgar Wright. Um, and we spoke to Tom Hanks for two hours about Saving Private Ryan. None of these people were in promotion for anything. They're just, if you call up and say Spielberg has, has invited you to write a essay on your feelings for him, then people tend to say yes. Um, and then we managed to um, convince him to come and join us at the Empire Awards, where we gave him the Legend of Our Lifetime Award, which was probably the most overdue award well, in well the history deserved, of think, awards. Yeah. And things like that are really are really exciting. But the other group of people who are most important are our readers. And the greatest privilege of this job has been getting to know those readers. They are very vocal. They are very passionate. They will tell you the moment you've done something wrong. But they are the most engaged, loyal, brilliant group of readers that I have ever had the privilege to come into contact with. They love Empire. They love film. They are really pure-hearted about what we do and about their love of film. And it's a real privilege to speak to them every day. I speak to a lot of them on Twitter and to meet them at events. Um, And those two things to me are kind of kind of the great joy of editing Empire. And really, the best bit of my job, I have to say, is every time I'm in a screening and the lights start to go down and you get those, and it still happens to me every single time I see a film is I get the goosebumps the moment the lights dim and and just the seconds before the film starts. And every single time that happens, I once again feel really blessed to be doing this job and to get to essentially work with the best group of people in the industry to talk about and celebrate and argue and all of this about film. I think it's just, it's an absolute joy. Well, as you said, you have incredibly loyal fans and everyone has uh, a real love for Empire. Do you feel a pressure from that? Oh, yeah, totally. So, like, the um, more so than any other magazine I've edited, there's a real sense of ownership around Empire that the readers, it's their magazine. And so I'm in service to them. And so the pressure really comes from, you know, there's pressure in the industry. You, you, you take over Empire and you want to do bigger and better things than have ever been done before. You want to take the brand to new places. You know, we did the world um, first video cover last year with Fantastic Beasts in, in conjunction with WB and Pottermore. That was amazing to be able to do first like that feels really important. But mainly I want the readers to tell me that I'm doing a good job. I want them, I'm a bit needy like that. I want them to like say that I'm keeping, you You really want Empire to be kept in the spirit it always has been, but to be taking it into new places. I always feel you're a guardian of Empire who's lucky enough to step into those shoes and there'll probably be somebody after me and it passes from person to person, but nobody owns Empire apart from the audience. So I definitely feel a pressure to keep those people happy and to make them still love Empire as much as they always have done because it's never been harder to get people to buy magazines, which means we have to work our arse off to justify the cover price, the subscription fee. You know, we are not a cheap product at all. We are quality, premium I think it's worth every penny, but we need to make that justification every single month. And you have, I mean, I think since you've been in charge, the covers have been the best that they've ever been. The subscriber covers particularly are stunning. How do you go about planning them? What's your, what is your strategy with, I mean, we've got a copy of Empire in front of us, which has got, uh, it's, that's not the subscriber cover, no, no. which has got an amazing image of uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Yes. That must be a lot of fun. 
planning the covers. It is. And, you know, the, the subs covers, as you say, are really a place where we have great creative freedom. On the newsstand, there's, you know, there's a level of commerciality you have to hit, which means um, you don't have necessarily that much room to play with, although we've kind of... We always try and be more ambitious about getting on set to shoot things, about working with the studios really closely to get images that are unique for Empire. Everything you see on an Empire newsstand cover is a world exclusive. We don't take anything that's run anywhere else or poster artwork or anything like that. But the subs covers are really where we get to have great creative fun. So my creative director, Chris Lupton, is an absolute genius and he has this amazing book full of illustrators and photographers and people that he works with um, and will often choose somebody who um, is closely aligned with the film so we've used Paul Shipper before who does a lot for um, Disney and some of the studios and we'll say you know this is the film we want to go this is the kind of direction and and get basically commission bespoke artwork we got Noma Bar to do one last year for Reservoir Dogs and we just and we love that was Noma. the ear wasn't it yeah the ear yeah. and we love Noma and we just said to him and I think again this is about empowering your people we said we want to do an anniversary cover of Reservoir Dogs the imagery is so iconic but is also very well tread so can you go and come up with something that makes it feel fresh and exciting but is really cool and he came back with the with the ear illustration that we ended up running which got one of the biggest responses we've ever had to a subscriber cover so for us, the subscribers are a special little gang and they know film better than anyone. They get kind of all the inside references. You can get quite meta with them and that's what we do often with our subscriber covers. But they are meant to be collectible works of art is what they are. And we often get people asking, can I buy them as prints? And we always say no because they are just for our subscribers and that is part of the benefit of being part of that little gang is you get that every month and we work our arse off to make those super special because they I think they used to be at Empire often the subscriber cover years ago was kind of just a an iteration of the main cover without cover lines and for me it's like that's not good enough and for, for my creative director as well we both want to create something truly truly unique um because we believe that those people have shown us great loyalty by signing up um and so we want to show them in return how much we appreciate it that vector drawing of Thanos, I think, a couple of issues ago was absolutely yeah. stunning. Yes, we did one. I don't know if you saw the Blade Runner one last year. That got, like, so much. I think um, um, he actually made it, Ryan actually made it his um, his panel header in his Twitter profile. Like, they, everybody loves these covers. They're incredible. And, yeah, so we, we love doing them. It's a real privilege. So uh, who have been your favourite interviewees? Oh, so... Um, so I love, so my favourite, one of my favourite directors anyway, top five, is John Waters. And I interviewed him for the first time at Time Out. He always seems amazing value. He is. I mean, he does, he sometimes tells the same stories because I presume if you're John Waters and you've been telling the same stories for 50 years, then, you know, they kind of get into a cycle. But he tells it to you like he's never, ever told it before. So I went to interview him in his um, apartment in the West Village and I don't get really nervous before interviews because I think it's just having a conversation, really. But I was physically shaking before I went in because he means so much to me. His work means so much to me. And then I interviewed him. I've interviewed him twice, Empire, over the phone. And he's just always 
such incredible value and just yeah as I say just makes you feel like you're the only person in the room and that this is the first time he's telling you this amazing story some of the stuff I'm like oh, can I print that it's kind of you know what did she do with the crucifix okay maybe I can maybe it's how I maybe it's how I phrase it um so he's incredible um I interviewed Nicole Kidman again it was just a phoner last year to do a, um, a review of the year and she was so brilliant and warm and just a great conversationalist and really kind of used the interview to talk about things that meant a lot to her um and you know it was obviously about around the time of kind of me too and all of that and she talked about um the importance of women in conceiving of um it was about big, big little lies so um the importance of women in production companies and conceiving of things and she really gave shout outs to all the women involved and and she was really really Great interviewing. I, I do. I love interviewing other women. Um, I really do. And I'm not the great believer in women always have to interview other women. But I think, um, I think female actors traditionally have not always been interviewed in the right way. I think people are very concerned with what they're wearing or what they wore to some awards do or what their beauty regime is or you know what how they juggle it all with their kids and things like that. And I have rules at Empire which are. If they're talking to Empire, they're talking about the work. You know, I don't want to know what she's wearing in the first paragraph of your interview unless she walks in in a clown outfit and that is somehow relevant to the article. I don't care. I don't care if she's wearing jeans and has a fresh face, smile, and all of that. I don't want her physicality to be part of it. So, I really enjoy the fact that at Empire, we there is parity between men and women. We care about their work. We care about the things that matter to them, um, but we don't care about their personal life or their wardrobe. Can I ask? Who's been the worst interviewee? Oh, you don't have to answer this, and I, can I can't say it who because the, I still deal with the publicist of this person. Um, it was actually in New York, and it was somebody who I really—it was a woman. It was somebody I really kind of looked up to, and um, maybe she was having a difficult day, maybe she was stressed, but it was an incredibly tense interview. And I was told that she didn't really want to do it. And it, and you could really tell, and it just made for the most awkward kind of conversation. Um, but yeah, I can't say who it was, unfortunately. We all have bad days. We do. Um, so, it, I mean, do you find it a challenge to balance the creative side of uh, editing magazine with the commercial demands? I mean, the reality is I think all good editors these days have to have a real sense of commerciality. I think it's not kind of like the 90s where you were left to do mad things and, you know, magazines were selling anyway and, and everybody kind of stuck to their corner. I think all smart editors are constantly thinking about, A, how can you work with brands in a really great way to bring in more money? And B, how can you make the, the, the most people possible buy your magazine? So I suppose where that is felt most keenly is the cover. So... We spend a lot of time talking about what films can go on the cover, what films can't go on the cover. And sometimes there'll be films that we are huge supporters of inside the magazine, but we don't feel have the commerciality. So a good example is Dunkirk last year. So there is no history of war films selling copies of Empire. And, and we can tell by certain genres if they're going to sell or not. And it was really difficult because we were really excited about that film we felt it was really significant we felt we love Christopher Nolan he's a really important filmmaker and it just we I was too concerned about the commerciality of that to sell copies of the magazine on the newsstand to be able to put it on the cover and that they're difficult decisions to make but ultimately what I have to remember and what I always remind myself is 
I, I'm responding to the needs of the readers. So if they're not buying it for a reason, then I have to try and find out why and find out what they do want to buy. Um, you know, we people will notice that there's a lot of um, franchises and a lot of superhero films on covers of Empire. And the sales data shows that those are the things that sell. So you have to be driven by commerciality when it comes to the newsstand. But inside the magazine is where... I think there's much more room to play and to, you know, we will take a punt on a film that nobody else is talking about because that's what Empire should do. And it may not in and of itself sell us more copies of the magazine, but it's part of our brand and it's part of people going, oh yeah, I want to buy Empire because they're the people who put me onto X. You know, I got massively behind the Greasy Strangler two years ago. And I, we did a big feature on it, that which is... That would make a good subscriber's cover. <laughs> well, can you imagine? Oh, my God. But we did, we did a big feature on it, which is quite unheard of for a film like that, which was unproven. But I saw it at Sundance. And I mean, it, and being a John Waters fan, you can probably tell why I liked it. But I just, I just thought that film was insanely good. And I thought, Jim's a really interesting new filmmaker. Obviously, Ben Wheatley was attached. And I was like, OK, this is really interesting. We need to take a punt on it. And we did... Last year, we saw God's Own Country super early, and I was just like, this guy, so Francis Lee, obviously a first-time filmmaker again, um, and I was like, we have to get behind this. This is an incredibly important British film, and the difference that Empire can make to a film like that is, is significant, and I feel a sense of responsibility that we need to be celebrating those films as much as the big Marvel movies. So we were there, for, we, I think we did more coverage on God's Own Country than quite a lot of other films. Um, and we did, you know, I think we've done five or six pieces to date. And they again won some Empire Awards. Um, and so I think we're inside the mag, commerciality matters. But for me, it's more about what should Empire be doing? What should we be talking about? What do people come to us for? And also, what responsibility do we have to the industry? It's easy for us to talk about Star Wars. We're perfectly placed to do it, but it's... We also need to put our money where our mouth is and say, this is what we're excited about. This filmmaker deserves your attention. These these films deserve to succeed at the box office. And you've got to get them to buy the mag in the first place. And then exactly. you can talk to them about the films that they, exactly. they might not know about. Exactly. So, and, you know, and that that is all part of the kind of empire mix. But yeah, as you say, we've got to grab them at the newsstand. So we work really hard to make our covers striking and bold and dynamic um, so that people stop and pick it up. Um and, but apart from the cover, I mean, there aren't too many commercial constraints around Empire. We have a very simple job, which is to talk about film, celebrate film. Essentially, I always say to the team, ultimately, Empire's job is to make people decide what to watch at the cinema. If you take out everything else we do, that's what it is. They should basically come away from Empire going, I need to watch these four things. I'm not that bothered about those three things. That is our fundamental task. And I think when you have such a purity of... of, um, of vision but also of job that is our job then that kind of makes everything else simple and incidentally francis lee uh tweeted yesterday i think that how excited he is to see avengers infinity war this weekend yeah. so god's own country avengers infinity war the crossover that's yeah. been waiting to happen i would go francis if you're listening i will come and see that film at the cinema with you because i love francis lee i think i would amazing. actually like to see uh, is it alex I can't say his surname. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. In a superhero, superhero. Film, because he already looks like a superhero. He does. I mean, he's incredibly handsome. So I'm constantly asked about the threat of Netflix and VOD yeah. and other um, online platforms about, about their influence on cinema. And the death knell of cinema has been sounded several times throughout history. 
Why do you think cinema still endures and how do you see the future of cinema? I think this whole Netflix thing is, is, I mean, as tends to happen, right, it becomes massively, loads of hyperbole involved and everybody panics and as you say, cinema's dead, oh my God, what are we going to do? Cinema will never, ever, ever, ever die. Cinema is the bringing together of people for a communal experience. That desire is a basic, fundamental human desire, will never leave. It's like saying nobody's going to go to gigs. People will always go to gigs. People want to come together, and especially, I think, in an increasingly digitised world, people treasure those in-real-life experiences more than ever, and nothing, nothing is better than being in a packed cinema on a Saturday night, watching an amazing film with like minds of people. It's one of life's greatest pleasures. So I think fundamentally that is why. But I think the, the rise of Netflix has been really interesting. You know, the TV side of it is why we launched Pilot TV, which is a spin-off from Empire celebrating quality TV. But in terms of how it impacts film, and obviously I think people have panicked because a couple of films that were originally slated to come out theatrically have gone straight to Netflix and people are worried about that. I mean, video, people, stuff going to video on demand has always happened. People forget this. Like, things have, have often skipped um, actually getting a theatrical distribution. But I think Netflix should be seen as a partner, I think, and not as a threat. So for me, Netflix has only become a companion to my cinema watching. I'm not doing it instead of. I'm not going, do I want to watch this here? Oh, actually... I'll just stay at home and watch it for free because I've, I've, got, I've paid my subscription already. I don't believe people see it as an either-or. I think people are bolting it on. So, for example, I went to a um, Godfather double bill at the Prince Charles and some, for some reason they didn't show three. And I was, like, livid. So I went home and watched three by <laughs> myself until two in the morning. And I think that's the way people are, are seeing it. And I think to see Netflix... Um, as a threat when I think watching something at home on a small screen or on a laptop will never, ever, 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 ever replicate the cinema experience. But I think what you are seeing, which is interesting, is filmmakers kind of now much more deliberately making greater cinematic films kind of to, not to justify, but to kind of remind people why you go to the cinema. So Dunkirk is a great example, right? Is Christopher Nolan, who's quite open about his views on Netflix, is like... You cannot watch Dunkirk on a small screen. That is just ridiculous. But actually, I saw it in IMAX um, at seven in the morning. And I mean, I was ruined for the rest of the day. But that was a cinema... That film was a cinema-going experience. And I think what we might see is more films being... Everything being turned up a, a notch so that you really experience it differently in the cinema. But I don't think Netflix is going to be the end of cinema. I think people will always pay to go and see films together with their parents, with their boyfriends, with their lovers, with whoever. That that will always exist as human behaviour. And there's actually a really good example of a film which probably crept up on us that's in cinemas at the moment, which works amazingly at the cinema, and maybe not so much at home, in a quiet place. Oh, my God. 100%. I mean, nothing made me more... Actually, nothing made me more aware of how actually weird going to the cinema can be because you suddenly look around and it's the deathly quiet. I mean, I have been reading about people like eating during it and yeah. stuff like that. I would like literally kill those people. They need to... I'm surprised the cinema chain hasn't like taken advantage of only selling marshmallows or something Honestly, like that. It's like, yeah, but you're exactly right. That again is is a real, you, watching that with, and I saw it at screening, and I've seen it um, at a public cinema, watching it at a public cinema, it was the most disorientating but amazing experience, and 
watching that on the big screen and every tiny sound making a difference was extraordinary. So I think I think there will be more films like that, which you really get the sense of why you're seeing it at the cinema. And it shows it doesn't have to be a $200 million Quite. IMAX film. It Quite. can be just yes. something that does something a little bit clever. And I think that is easily one of the best films of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about films coming up then, Terry. What films are you most looking forward to for the rest of the year? Hmm, let me think. Well, so, um, uh, Hereditary. Oh my God, the trailer for that looks absolutely terrifying. Yes, so it, I mean, I think horror is just having such an amazing time right now. Um, and which really excites me. I think I'm, I really love a genre movie and I, it really frustrates me the kind of snobbery towards genre movies. Um, uh, both kind of institutionally, but also just in in some cinema going audiences as well, and I think just as a as a kind of a a ground for really trying out new ideas and being quite experimental, and I think horror is just really where it's at at the moment. So, Hereditary looks Her- Hereditary's out on the fifteenth of June. Fifteenth June, good knowledge. The little girl in it. It just looks terrifying. And yeah. I was, I felt, you know, I thought about it. I was like, how does that casting conversation with her parents go? Like, we would really like your daughter to be in this film because she's terrifying. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2 as well, yeah. I mean, which is what, June 15th? I mean, that's. May 15th. May 15th, sorry, May 15th. That's, I mean. <laughs> The, just the marketing so far has been so nuts. I mean, you know, doing the good housekeeping cover in the US, which, you know, as the Empire editor, I'm like, why isn't he doing Empire? Why is he doing good <laughs> housekeeping? But then the film going part of me is like, that is genius. Yeah. Um, the tr- absolutely not so trailers. The trailer that was released last week has at least three solid gold laugh out loud belly laughs yeah the bit where he goes this is so dark are you sure you're not from the dc universe? oh my god i mean it's just insane and that's that really excites me i just think again i think there's something really happening in in um comic book movies and in superhero movies as well i think what we've seen is um the ones that are really cutting through like deadpool like logan because they're trying something different and not kind of sticking to the formula and I think that the kind of threat always is that people get quite apathetic if it's a kind of certain genre of movie that's done a certain way over and over again but I think he's Ryan's really shown how you kind of do something completely different you've got to think about it when he pitched that to the studio they must have been like this is the most meta kind of superhero ever that nobody's really heard of and and you were the Green Lantern. So. And you were the Green Lantern. You don't necessarily have the best form to yeah. be sat in front of me right now. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. And I'm really interested to see Solo, I think. Um, nobody's quite sure yet kind of where it's going to land, kind of in terms of it being a comedy-ish and kind of how tonally it sits within it and and where it sits within the broader Star Wars canon and obviously Ron Howard and all the directors. Stuff. I mean, it, it's the making of it has been fairly uh, uh, noteworthy so far. So I'm really interested to see how that fits in and kind of, you know, people were left after Jedi because Ryan made so many kind of bold, sh- so quite shocking at times choices that I'm interested to see if this is kind of a bit of a 
safe kind of warm blanket of Star Wars or whether, again, it's quite... Which Ron Howard we would be quite capable be of delivering. Good. Yes, which uh, is what you'd think, right, with Ron Howard, that he's going to be kind of a, a more of a traditionalist. I really, really want it to be good. Yes. I haven't wanted a film to be, be good for as much as it is for a while. And the more they release in terms of trailers and TV spots, I'm getting excited about it. And... Donald Glover looks amazing as Lando. Woody Harrelson. I mean... Woody Harrelson is just... He's suddenly become the most reliable actor around. He's on fire. Like, you know, think about, just think about him in Three Billboards, like, which... Could have easily won the Oscar for that ahead easily, of Sam, Sam Rockwell. Easily. Um, and the other thing I'm really excited about is Hotel Artemis, yep. which is the Jodie Foster... Um, it's got Jeff Goldblum in it. Jeff Goldblum in it. Uh, and uh, Dave Bautista, and obviously the story of this um, uh, post-apocalyptic world in the future, civil war raging, and um, this hotel which has been converted into a hospital for um, fee-paying criminals who may get injured. Um, it looks a bit like a, a John Wick spin-off. It's, it's, very, it's very John Wick, noir-y. Um, Jodie Foster seems to have aged. I think they've aged her quite significantly. Obviously, she does very little these days in terms of films. Yeah, and so really, it must be hopefully good. That's Drew, what Drew Pierce is an interesting talent as well. He I is, think. yeah, he, he is. He did Cabin in the Woods for he did, anyone yeah. listening, wondering who Drew Pierce is. Yes. Yeah, no, that, that I'm excited about him. That's July 20th. Yes. So, yeah, and I think we've got a really exciting year ahead. As you said, it's been a great year so far, and I think there's a really exciting year ahead. So... We better wrap this up because I've just looked at the counter and it says 40 minutes. I don't know where it's gone. <laughs> but what are your hopes for the future of Empire? Oh, God. Um, just a small one to wrap yeah. it up. <laughs> well, so, you know, I think we've got 30 coming up and I really want to use that moment to kind of probably do one of the most ambitious things Empire's ever done, which I can't talk about too much right now, but we are working on something which um, will be the most ambitious kind of... Thing Empire's ever done and takes that moment to reflect on, you know, Empire is such an iconic brand. Um, it's a global brand. It means so much to people, both within the film industry and, and outside of it. Um, and I just want Empire to, you know, to in this difficult media world where magazines are closing and things are going online only and stuff, I want Empire to remain as this incredible brand with a an amazing magazine at its heart that speaks to cinema fans i always say empire isn't a men's magazine it isn't a woman's magazine empire is a magazine that unites everybody who loves cinema and that's it those are the people we speak to those are our people um and i just want us to be kind of bigger and bolder and better than ever as we turn the big 3-0 well i've been reading empire for i would say almost 25 years now yes i am that old and i enjoy it as much now as i ever have so thank, thank you terry you. and thanks for joining me today on the dcm podcast thank you